We are I. recording Bridget we're uh, sitting out we're just kind of talking about a few things that we are going to chit chat about today uh, one of them a little bit of history um, you know like the different uh, Arabic principles that were passed down like through poems and not necessarily through text originally and I kind of want to know a little bit more about that um, and your opinion and your thoughts kind of about um, the whole vaccine schedules and I know like uh, our provincial governments up here now too are are not even going by um, the scheduled routine and now there's a lot of upset people who even got the first one and they're not going to get the second one on time now and then now there's this super strutter sprain and or strain and like how that comes into play so um, would you like to go COVID-19 first or like ancient text and passing on knowledge first? Well let's make let's make sure we get to the ancient text thing so let's do that first. Yeah absolutely so go ahead fill us in with what you know because I like I said I literally just found out about that this morning and yeah. I just thought it was um, it was so neat because so many things traditionally um, through across all cultures and you know across all platforms were passed down through song and dance you know music poems uh, but we don't do any of that really anymore. Like knowledge has become like who can memorize things out of a book, um, you know, which right. like, I find like the driest thing to, or a way to be able to learn. I find just talking with people in like group discussions or more interactive ways. I learn way better. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, in the ancient world, um, potentially people were more, uh, illiterate or less likely to write things down or even before we had writing they had to hand things down orally that's where all of these origin stories and creation myths come from they're from pre you know writing so um that's what they did with with all of the ancient whatever the ancient texts are now that people are memorizing they're memorizing them um actually even in memorizing them it's helping them to remember what it is because it's written down as a poem mm -hmm. and so there's there's a specific cadence to how the poem goes and that helps you to remember all of the information that it contains and um and that potentially kind of uh dictates what the meaning of phrases and words are to some extent as well. And so that's why um, we need a teacher to impart the, the intricacies of, of what the text is stating because it's an oral tradition that's been passed down and then put into writing, but every single facet of it isn't actually in the poem itself or mm. in the writing itself. So it's, it's um, kind of like the, the skeleton, yeah. you know? And the rest of the teaching is from the experience of, of the people that have passed down that information. But, but the thread, the bones have been the same words all along. Like the Rig Veda is the same thing as it was. The Charaka Samhita is, you know, 
Um, well, obviously, Taraka wrote that down, but the, some of the texts that some of that information is coming from and some of the teachings were handed down orally. And a lot of times they put it into poem or into song because that cadence helps you to remember it. And um, it doesn't always rhyme per se, but there are other ways that it makes sense, you know, to, to help it stick in your memory. And that's true in the Indian tradition and in the Chinese tradition, as far as I know. And then, and then even I would imagine in the Tibetan tradition as well, because um, a lot of the information in the Tibetan tradition was also in song or prose and handed down orally. So, you know, which is, is interesting, like when I, when I first came across that, because one of the things that came into my mind initially was that we all know that even in today's day and age, it's like, well, I'm going to tell you a story, and then you tell somebody else, and that story kind of changes a little bit, and then they tell somebody else, and like, like, there, it just seems like before, I don't know whether, like, because like, communities were smaller, or pockets were smaller, or, you know, maybe that did happen, and we just don't really know, or, you know, like, just people or have paid a lot more attention to detail or wanted to get it right, or, you know, wanted to be more accurate and precise, or, you know, maybe you just like respected things more, but it just seems like so hard to believe that like, there's just like, there wouldn't be some miscommunication like along the lines, but like you said, like people have been like reiterating these, these stories and these poems for thousands of years. Right. Yes. And if you are in the, um, if you're, if you're learning from any, experienced teacher in those traditions, you're going to be hearing those phrases that pertain to whatever they're teaching you at that moment that they still have memorized from when they began their training, you know, decades ago, um, because they always refer back, like a, a Chinese medicine or a Taoist teacher is going to refer back to the Chinese um, writing of, of Lao Tzu. And they'll, they'll like spout off, same thing with yoga teachers. They're gonna spout off whatever that excerpt is in the Hatha Yoda, Yoga Pradipika or Bhagavad Gita, or, you know, whatever the text, the wisdom is drawing from, they always give it credence and they always kind of back up whatever they're teaching you with the exact Sanskrit phrase. And then they elaborate on what that means. So you get the phrase and, and you get the translation, but you also get their experiential teaching of what that phrase means, how it manifests, the pitfalls and the obstacles that might be in place to realizing whatever the phrase is talking about. That, all of that stuff is what the teacher is telling you, but the phrase itself is like the nuts and bolts and, and the teacher kind of puts it all together. Which, and, and like, that's how like we would draw like assimilation with somebody and, you know, in their experience, right? Because obviously, you know, everybody's going to experience things slightly differently, but like they have like this core concept they're following, but like, that's how I'm going to associate with you or, you know, person X or person S or, you know, like we're going to, we're going to find that because they're going to explain it and have that slightly a little bit different experience. But like I said, like that, that core value, you can go anywhere in like those, that core terminology or like those nuts and bolts that those are the same. It's just a person's uh, who's facilitating that, like their experience may change just slightly and they explain it a slightly different way. And, you know, maybe people can get a little bit, uh, you know, different things out of that. Um, and like, that's the one thing that I find to be like the best about 
the communication side of it, like where these people are like explaining these things versus just like the do as I say approach that we have now, because then you can actually, you know, form an opinion and, the, and people walk away with knowledge from all of these these teachers and stuff. So I just, I find there's so many depths and so many levels to like, you know, like all these ancient texts and all these like ancient, um, you know, like readings and just the experiences that people have, like you can really get into some serious rabbit holes, like researching is like, even going back to like the history of where it started, it's like, well, what do you believe? I think there's like two or three different time frames of like, you know, kind of like where the, like a lot of these principles even started in India. And was it like a single person or was it like an idea collectivized by a group of people? There's just so much that's not really known, or, you know, maybe you can add some clarification to that. Like what, what's your experience with the history of this all? I think certain concepts can be pinned down to, particular time frames or doctors. Um, but again, there's always that question of where that person got their inspiration from. And maybe that teaching that they're talking about was hinted at by other teachers that have gone unnamed, right? So even though, you know, a certain doctor might be credited with warm disease school, for example, um, that, that, system of thought was probably, you know, a tumbleweed that had been gaining traction for a long time before that person really codified it. So it's really hard to know, you know, they don't even know where acupuncture came from. You know, there are scholars that um, believe that it originated in India and, and scholars believe, that believe it originated in China. So it's, it, no one actually knows. And um, the same with Kung Fu, like there are scholars that believe that it came from uh, Southern India and migrated um, to the mountains of China. So I'm not saying that I believe that, but there, there are some people that do. So it's, it's hard to know where, where some of this stuff came from. Well, yeah. And like, from what I read, I think it was um, just over a thousand years ago, they can um, kind of draw correlations that um, there was certain like doctors performing like kidney stone removal and rhinoplasty and um, like a bunch of like different kind of like what we would determine to be like maybe like an invasive surgery now, um, applying sutures, like all these things like well over a thousand years ago. Cataract surgery. Yeah, and I just, I find that to be like, <laughs> Like, could you imagine being that person? Like, I just, like, how do you, like, like the kidney stone thing? I was just like, I'm like, how? It's just like so fascin fascinating, but like, what were they even doing? Like, is there- Some of those ones where they find like the, the they dig up the corpses and at these archeological sites and they find that their skulls have been tampered with and that some of them actually have had like brain surgery. That is just unbelievable, eh? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Like, even like to me, like I was like, for something to be a pr predominant like rhinoplasty where they would bring that up where you would assume that it was common enough where they happen to have potentially found a skeleton that, you know, or references in text, but like, why were people needing to get that done? Was there that many deformities? Were the people just not that happy? Was there like a disease going around? It just seems so right. strange that they would target rhinoplasty is like this like oh, this surgery that they were performing that is referenced in all these texts now yeah, it's yeah. Amazing. 
Yeah. Um, is there still like a, a lot of people practicing um, like the techniques uh, for surgery or is that a lost um, art now? Like where, where does the industry sit with kind of, um, you know, like traditional styles of surgery that have been adopted? Are they out the door? Are we still using them? Are people practicing them or refining them down? Or? I'm not sure that traditional styles of surgery, I, I don't know if they're the same now you know, they may very well be very similar now to what they were then. Mm -hmm. I don't know, because I haven't been trained in that. But, um, you know, I do know, like in the Shashruta Samhita, which is a um, pivotal text of Ayurvedic medicine, and it focuses on surgical techniques to some extent, that Shashruta talks about how there are points on the body that you actually shouldn't cut through. Yeah. So there are marma points or acupoints points that if you cut in that location when you're going into the body, it can actually make the, um, make the incision very difficult for it to heal or it can lead to bigger problems down the road. Um, so you're not supposed to cut through those points. And I don't know if doctors today follow that. You know, I, I would imagine they're trying not to cut major arteries and things like that, which I'm sure is some of what Shishurta was talking about. But I think he was talking about um, other things as well, um, certain nerves and, and um, areas that maybe we don't understand in Western medicine yet because we don't have the technology to, to see it um, as they perceived it. And so it's not take it, it's taken lightly or taken with a grain of salt if they even know that you're not supposed to cut in that area. So that is definitely an area of uh, wisdom that today's surgeons may want to draw from. And so would that wisdom come from like, like the teaching? So like a lot of it would just be based on like, like theories of like these, these principles, or like, do you think that that would come from like them actually testing like that, like cutting people like in different areas or performing different surgeries? I think it's all, I think it's all of the above. I think that they probably figured things out by making mistakes mm -hmm. and, and observation of that. I think that, um, Again, it's teachings that have been passed down. I think that there were probably um, medicinal um, hallucinogenic, you know, things that were taken that they could see things, mm -hmm. you know, and um, and like whatever it is, like ayahuasca or whatever those types of plants. Um, and then I and then in deep states of of meditation, you can actually perceive things that you could nor normally not see with the naked eye. And then, um, and then some people like Edgar Casey would be a good example are, are people that can just see things. Um, they can see the energy field around a person or, or um, maybe there's people that can just see stuff like that. And, and so the information got passed down from that way too. So I think a lot of it was trial and error, but some of it's this, these other, dimensions that we don't understand yet with western science you know that we kind of don't take we don't give credibility to see and i and i actually want to believe that there's a certain um part of like our existence that we all were a lot more intuitive like we all had a, a lot better understanding of like how things were affecting our bodies or like we just we didn't have so much clutter you know i think yeah. it's kind of more like you know when the point i'm trying to make is you know, like 
we don't even have like the ability to be able to stop and to be able to see. And I think that's why people, so many people are benefiting from meditation now, because I know when I stop and, and I meditate and I spend that time or if I'm sitting in the sun and something along those lines where I just really think about the thoughts that are going on in my mind. Like I think about a lot different stuff than what I think I am. Like I kind of dig a little bit deeper. So like if there wasn't all this like clutter, you know, to begin with that, like, what would we be seeing? You know, like, what would we be feeling? What would be around us that would be available to us? Right. And then, and then, uh, you know, kind of the other side of that is like taking our current uh, scenario into context at this time in history. That exactly is what's, um, I think, pushing some people into more states of anxiety and depression is that they're, they're not able to fill with so much clutter now because yeah. there isn't so much that you can do to distract yourself and make you feel better, at least not as easily, you know, as before. So I think that is really pushing people to do exactly what you're saying. And there's not like to go deeper, to notice what they're thinking and, and really not know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, because the mind, you know, is starting to reveal itself more yeah. and there's not so much distraction there to, to sort of numb that awareness of, of what's going on around us, which is a good thing in the long run, mm -hmm. but in the moment, it's not really, that's not like what's on the news, right? It's not like, you know, so what are you doing to manage the thoughts that are coming up? Right. <laughs> that's not on the news so well, and, you, um, and like yeah. you make a really good point like I, I think like when we were overwhelmed with potential thought um, like you know a thousand years ago two thousand three thousand five thousand years ago that it was more immediate to like what was happening most likely kind of right in front of us you know mm -hmm. but like right now just being inundated with everything that happens all over the world like mm -hmm. it just it's so much information to be able to take in and you know, with, I think people, there's a lot of people teetering on a brink before. And, you know, yeah. I really thought that everybody that was kind of around my life or people that I interacted with, I'm like, wow, I'm like, you know, we, our tanks were pretty full, like our stress levels, you know, our anxiety or like, you know, depression or happiness, like everything was kind of like really maxed out. Then COVID hit and I'm like, oh, I'm like, obviously the people I know just do like a great job of managing all this. But now, because it's been going on for so long, the last month, and I don't know whether it's because it's like, it's colder outside, people are inside, the restrictions are back, like, you know, like, there's just, there's more people not working or not working long enough. Now this like super strain, I really have seen the emotional toll make a huge leap in the wrong direction um, in the last month, where there's just like, I look at people and I'm just like, I'm, I'm scared for them. Like there's quite a few people in my life like that right now where I just look at them and I can just, I can see how riddled with depression and anxiety they are right now. And like what you said, the worst thing is, is nobody's offering any kind of solution to that in a very broad public way. Like the only messages that we still get up here, what's happening in the States, what politicians are traveling globally and not supposed to, um, you know, and, you know, like how much further our lockdowns are going to be because how much worse the cases are like, there's just, there's nothing that promotes any kind of glimmer of like the light at the end of the tunnel. 
you know, yeah. like, oh, and I, I feel now a lot of people are starting to, to kind of get like sucked into that vacuum and that vortex. Is that something that you guys notice down there? Or do you notice anything like that? Yeah. And more and more people that I talk to are saying, I'm really concerned about actually what's going to happen at the end of this, because the mental health issues are going to be off the chart. Yeah. And you know, it's like when, when something's happening, it's, it's sort of like a built-in mechanism we have to sort of hunker down and cope with it, you know? And then it's like, after it lifts, that's a lot of the time when you notice like how stressed you were or whatever. And, and, and people are starting to come in and, and say that to me, like they're, they're concerned about that, not just for, you know, themselves, but for society as a whole. And I talked to some psychologists and, they also are saying, you know, they're, that they're that their um, their professional organizations are already trying to prime them for the influx of people they're going to get and what the issues are going to be that they're going to have to be helping them to process. And then those caregivers have to be able to take care of themselves as well. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of heavy information to be to be dealing with. And then and then the um, yeah, and then exactly what you said, it's just that there's not this light at the end of the tunnel that there's just, it seems like with, with every passing day, there's another concern that arises mm-hmm. um, on the TV or in social media. And, um, and, and another thing that I've, I've sort of been picking up on lately, and just like you said, like the last month, and it's gotten worse in the last couple of weeks, is it feels to me like people are withdrawing. Yeah. And I've had a couple of people say that to me too. Like they're, they've reached really out and they're not getting back to them or they're saying they're fine and then getting off the phone. Like people aren't actually even talking about how they're feeling. And it's like, we've got, we're getting to this other level of dysfunction with the whole thing. Well, see, and like a few points that like you brought up is that, you know, like we're not even like close to that, that, that like breath of fresh air. So people are already starting to have like those symptoms, like it has passed and it's not even close to passing yet. Yeah, I had somebody come in today and say, Ooh, it's so nice to have some, some relief. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like what? I I think she was talking about the vac, maybe because there's more vaccines that are going to available that aren't even yet i mean i don't even know what it was it's like everyone's in their own little world and getting pieces of information here or pieces of information there and and trying to stay positive as best they can you know and it's just it's just crazy you know you know i and i think that's the thing is like there's there's a lot of people that i know that are cherry picking quite a bit of information and then jumping to these like wild conclusions about like oh, you know, like when I get, or now that all these people are getting vaccinated, you know, we can start to kind of get like, you know, the world back spinning. It's like, well, no, not really. And then it's just like, well, you know, like it's a forefront of talk right now, but like the other spin outside of that is, but they're saying like, even like these vials, like they don't even know if there's enough of these little vials to be able to house the vaccines, to be able to ship them. They don't know if they have enough like shipping containers for the cold storage to be able to ship them around. Like there's so many levels to this, but you know, like I, 
like that's one of the things where like as soon as that vaccine came out i think a lot of people shifted their mentality being like this is the sign that things are going to get back to normal it's like well what about that has been like there's been nothing normal about this everything is being mismanaged and you know like i just but i can i can see that what scares me about that is this setup for disappointment you know like is that is that pendulum swing actually a lot harder than the person just kind of like accepts that it's probably still going to be another year or the entire 2022 before anything gets back to kind of whatever normal would even look like by then, but we will have established a new status quo of what normal is. And then we're all obviously creatures of habit will be almost two years into it by then. Do people even go back, you know, or like where you're saying all these professional organizations priming these professionals, how to be able to handle this potential wave. Well, what about all the people who can't afford it, which is going to be a big part of the population who actually need that help, where they're just going to kind of get swept under the rug and nobody's going to really talk about them. And I like, those are like the primary areas of concern to me, not necessarily the people who can actually walk through the door because they have outlets and avenues, but there's a lot of people who don't. Yeah. Yeah, and that disparity is going to become even greater as time goes on, unfortunately. Yeah. What do you, uh, have Have you heard anything? I, I looked right before we talked, have the Republicans like sealed it? Did they get the 51? I think it was 54. I think the Democrats got it. I they mean, that's it? What the last I heard was a couple hours ago and, and that's what they're projecting. Yeah. That's it. And maybe that's what the glimmer of hope was that that client was talking about. But um, yeah, so I think that they got it. Yeah. If they projected it, usually that and by this point, that's probably pretty well sealed. But I mean, I mean, that's great. But, you know, it's kind of like the same thing as like the vaccine, like putting all your eggs in that basket or putting all your eggs in the Biden basket. Like it's not going to be the switch that that turns this off. Mm-hmm. And it's there's still going to be problems. I mean, the mayor of Washington D.C. had to call in the National Guard because she's afraid of pro-Trump rallies yeah. uh, getting out of hand. So, I mean, this isn't this isn't on any level like I, I think we just have to learn how to surf. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is a good point. And I don't know what it's been being like for you guys down there. I've heard a few stories, but like there's a lot of um, like top politicians all across Canada who've been traveling to like Hawaii and Palm Springs and Mexico and St. Bart's and like just kind of leading that like do as you're told or do as I say not as I do kind of theory and like what's going to happen now with that because now all these people you know um, including myself like you know you got isolated from your own families that at Christmas time and like throughout all these holidays, but then you realize that all these people who are kind of like the decision makers or the right hands of the decision makers nationally are like grabbing the family and heading off for like a two week beach vacation in the Caribbean and stuff. And it's like different spots. And it's, um, I find like, like that, like, like you said, there's just, there's so much like uncertainty. So if you can just get an extra wide surfboard and kind of hang out on the top and just do your best to, I feel like the more I stay out of it all is I do better myself that way. And that's why like this weekend, I'm like on Friday, I'm like, I got to pack up. I'm like middle of winter. I'm going winter camping. You know, I'm packing up like all my gear. I'm going to go 
sit on the top of a mountain, minus 20, minus 25 degrees, and just sit there and not be a part of it all just to kind of rejuvenate a little bit. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, like, what do you think are going to be some of the major changes with the Democrats if they do take the Senate too, because then they have kind of all three tiers. Do you think there's going to be some positive changes, you know, even if they're not COVID-19 related? I hope that there are positive changes. I think one of the major things that we're going to see right away and that is going to be a major positive change that not many people can argue with is um, giving more attention to the environment and conservation and you know, taking climate change more seriously, things like that. I think that's going to be, you know, something that happens right away. Um, and it's interesting that you, because I, a narrative that I've been hearing is like, yes, you know, because Biden is a part of like, you know, like Justin Trudeau from uh, like as a candidate, like there's, I think like seven or eight of these like prime ministers and presidents are part of that green new deal or the green new initiative or whatever it's called. Um, but now the thing is, it's not that people don't necessarily want, you know, like this big change to happen, but can business right now in this volatile world accept that kind of a dramatic change of the policies that they want to implement of how fast they want to swing off fossil fuels, like into renewable energies? Or that's that's hmm? Yeah, that's what concerns me is how fast they want to make that shift. Yeah, and I, and I don't. I think that in terms of that particular issue, that that's going to bring up a lot of resistance. Mm -hmm. The shifting off the fossil fuels within, like, what do they want to do? Ten years or something? Yeah. Um, like so it's I, basically like once he gets in office, you have to hit the ground running because like their time frames are so unrealistic. Like yeah. you would have to make like immediate it immediate change. It'd be like opening and closing your blinds like you'd have to be that fast because like to be able to turn the battleship of the world relying on fossil fuels like i i can't even imagine what it would be like trying to implement a strategy like that during covid 19 times like it'd just be astronomically hard right yeah i'm thinking more in terms of him like reversing a lot of what trump did like giving back you know national wildlife space and stuff yeah, like forest that. pipelines and yeah yeah um so before we kind of like swing like too far i like what's your stance on people getting um vaccinated and how the proper protocols for the vaccination schedule is not being followed i don't know what it's like in the u.s but in canada almost all provinces are no longer abiding by like the time schedule because they just don't have enough of the vaccine to be able to do the second dose in time and there's actually class action lawsuits being launched against provincial governments now not supplying the second dose in time um and then did you guys get the vaccine before us I don't know if we got the vaccine, but I just read something today that we are actually slower or doing a quote unquote worse job of implementing um, our vaccine strategy than what the U.S. is. And I know the U.S. is oh, that's saying something. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, like we're not doing uh, too well. Like Justin Trudeau, our, our prime minister, is famous for dishing out money to his buddies for stuff. And um, he signed some kind of deal with a Canadian based company and guaranteed them like tens of millions of dollars. And like, they're nowhere near like having a vaccine ready or so, like, so like, again, it's just mismanagement at like all kinds of, of levels. But, um, I don't know personally, like how much it affects it if you don't get the second dose in time. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, that's a really good question. That's something that I was going to look up. 
um, because I know that that's what they're doing in the UK, that they're only giving out the first dose and then they decided they're just going to take the second doses they had set aside and spread it through more of the population because they at least want to get that 50% uh, mm -hmm. resistance up in, in the majority of the population to stop the rapid rate of the spread of the, of the mutated strain. Does that make um, sense though? Like, does, does it make sense to kind of like- Yeah, it's just scrambling. Yeah. It's scrambling against time in this like fog of, of uncertainty yeah. because there's so much that we still don't know about this. And there's so much about even the testing that we don't know. Like, it seems to me that there's a sweet spot in the testing window even of a few days in order to get accurate positive results and so it's like there's just so much that's like on on steady ground and so you know it's it's one more it's like their best guess i think mm -hmm. you know to try and and stave off the influx of of patients to the hospital yeah i always look at like the um just being from southern alberta where there's just like winter times like you know minus 30 minus 40 and you know i was kind of always told when you leave the house make sure you have a full tank of gas so it's yeah. like when like this strategy now like the the what always pops on my mind whenever i hear about this um this how they've changed the implementation of like this drug against all these drug companies um, advice and policies and there's like you know Pfizer and Moderna like they're saying like this is not the best thing to do like this is not advantageous this is not how we um, you know wanted this to be rolled out you guys are going against our advice it's like going on a road trip in the winter time stopping at the gas station and being like I'll only fill up half the tank yeah I'll just put five bucks in <laughs> yeah and knowing that you have to stop again yeah. driving yeah. in winter conditions, it's like, why not just be prepared? You know, like, why not just fill it up all the way? Um, you know, especially because now, like, you can see how there's the, the groundwork for a lot of finger pointing starting to manifest right now. And could you imagine being the people that felt privileged getting this first round of vaccinations and then now being said, well, you're actually not getting, like, the booster? Right, right. Yeah. So and then even with that, it's like there's no guarantee that you're that you're not gonna get a moderate illness. Mm -hmm. And there's no guarantee that you can't transmit it. And then it's up to ninety-five percent effective. But what about that other five percent? Is that other five percent the fact that you can still get sick, it just won't be as bad? Or is that a five percent chance that if you Th that you could still get an illness bad enough to land you in the hospital. Like, what is that 5%? Like the information that we're being given is, is incomplete. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is because they're flying by the seat of their pants with this, because there's just a panic to not overrun the hospitals and to not have the economies crash completely. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just, yeah. Which when you look at from the economy's perspective, if like, this is how you're going to do it, you can see how further lockdowns would be inevitable. That would even be more harsh than if you just gave those people the, the second dose and just kind of waited for these things to be able to come online. Because it seems to me, and like I know absolutely nothing about vaccinations and schedules and effectiveness or, you know, like COVID-19 vaccination, anything. But like, it just seems like it has a, a very good foundation for making things way worse you know even having any kind of like immunity or like a effectiveness 
of like allowing the economy economy to even open up in any kind of way, you know, because how could things potentially mutate when there's just like this little bit of dose that this person got? It's not quite enough to be effective because we don't even know if the full dose is even effective. But how can that mutator, like what we were talking about at the beginning before we started recording, was like, well, how does this vaccine even fare against the new potential like super spreader strain? Are people going to have to potentially get vaccinated again for that? Or does the super spreader strain, you know, like overtake that? Like, it, like I, I don't even know. Like, there's just so many questions that are just, there's no answers to. Right. So I think any strain that mutates as long as long as it has that piece of RNA in it that's in the vaccine, the vaccine should be effective against it. Okay. Because so, that's what it's based on. It's based on one little tiny piece of, so it's not even the whole, it's not even a whole piece of like dead virus. If you, if there is a, you can't even call it that really, but you know, not a live virus. It's just a tiny little piece of the RNA. And, it, and that sequence of RNA is what the body recognizes so that if you get exposed to it, your body is supposed to recognize that sequence of RNA in what you get exposed to. And then your immune system is supposed to take care of it because of that. Mm -hmm. So it's like- so do you think that like the memory T cells would have got enough of the programming needed if you only got a half of a dose to be able to prevent anything? The memory T cells theoretically, well, the ones that are remembering the coronavirus, it's the T3 cell. Mm -hmm. If you got infected, theoretically, they should be remembering it anyway. Yes. So, I mean, here's a question. What if a mild infection or an asymptomatic infection is actually the person's second or third go round with it? Yeah. I mean, that's possible. What if, what if it exploded at the time it did because it had already been festering and no one recognized it? They labeled it the flu or a cold or a pneumonia. And, and it, didn't, it, it had to get to this critical point before it finally got recognized as its own thing because all of a sudden it just, everybody started getting it. And it was obvious that the you know, flu doesn't usually spread that way. So I, there's so many questions. You know, um, it's hard to say. And then I, I'm trying to be optimistic and say, well, maybe, I mean, I've, I've, people have forwarded me a couple of articles that I have to like really go through. I just kind of looked at them real quick on the phone this morning, but there's a potential that this mutated strain is less dangerous, mm -hmm. even though it's more contagious. I so heard that too, yeah. good thing if that's the truth, um, but we don't know yet. And then there's a South African strain that I haven't even researched yet. Um, well, yeah, because there's a, I, I read an article where there's there's actually um, like six or seven different strains because yeah. like you like even in the United States like you guys had a strain on the East Coast and the kind of like a slightly different variant mm -hmm. to it on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Isn't there like a, a certain strain in India that's different than the strain that's in the UK? It would make sense. It would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And the measures that we're taking, whether it's vaccination or whether it's all the cleaning products that we're using, I mean, who knows how that's having an effect on the mutations as well. Mm -hmm. Is there um, anything that like now that we're like so deep into this that, you know, any changes that you see like coming down the pipe that you never thought that you would make, 
you know, at the beginning of all this, like now that it's lasted for so long and we're kind of looking at potentially like another year and we don't really know what that looks like anyway, um, or are you still kind of like just steadfast on your course? Like that's also something that I've noticed a lot in like the last month. It seems like where people were like, I'm just going to kind of ride this out are more like, no, I think like I'm going to move or I'm going to do this. There's a lot of people starting to kind of like, you know, like the pot starting to turn, like what, what's it like for you personally? Do you notice anything like that in New York or? Um, you know, it's, it's tricky because it's like, is, is that thinking realistic or is that the glass is half empty? Mm -hmm. You know, like I, that's what I struggle with myself because like you, like you've said, I, I started about a month ago, seriously considering whether I would downsize out of my clinic space mm -hmm. um, because I don't necessarily want to take more loans out. Yeah. You know, it's not really the route I wanted to go. And the PPP, which is the, um, the, the stimulus for small business that they came out with in the spring, everyone was, talking about how it's forgivable. Oh, well, you don't have to pay that back. Oh, wait, well, I started filling out the application today. <laughs> and let me tell you, first of all, I can't finish it myself without professional guidance. Hmm. And secondly, um, it's based on a percentage of a percentage. So it's not the whole thing that's forgivable. And I am not sure I'm willing to go through that again. So yeah, I would say that I am definitely thinking, you know, I, I definitely have the sense of things um being like the light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing you know i definitely don't feel like we're doomed forever but on the other hand it's like all right well how am i going to weather this storm you know do i want to stick with this uh overhead that i currently have or do i want to change up how I'm operating and what I'm doing in order to kind of flow with what's happening. And that's sort of the direction I'm leaning into as much as I love this beautiful space that I'm in. And as much as, uh, you know, my landlord has been really awesome through the whole thing, I have to say, um, I am, I am questioning what the next move is at this point. See, and, you know, and like that for me, because like, like my, well, I guess, you know, like very much like you, like I just happened to be like in one of those areas of life that got impacted the most by COVID-19. Like, like, right. yeah, like there's, there's a few industries that got hit like really hard and you know, like mine was definitely, or like ours is like, is definitely one of them. So like, mm -hmm. I've been like kind of thinking about it more like, is it the glass is half empty or should we start just being a little bit less naive thinking that there's kind of a potential tone that's being set right now of like what might happen in the future when things kind of come around or, you know, like, is this just the beginning of, you know, like other viruses where there might be like more lockdowns and how, how can I set up my life now that, I can weather that because out here, like in BC, all we've ever prepared for was earthquakes. Like it's like earthquake drills in school every month, you know, like earthquake proof this, earthquake insurance, like everything to do with like earthquakes. So I'm like, okay, well now we're covered for that, but we've never been covered for that. Like how, how can I insulate myself that like, you know, if something like this happens again, like what you're saying, you know, giving up your space, well, you know, 
can you potentially ride this out for another year? And if, if you answered that honestly, yes, then it's like, can you honestly answer yes, that after that year, things go back to what they were two years ago, business-wise. And is that what you want anymore? Right, exactly. That's exactly it, yeah. Can I write it out? Do I want to write it out? Or do I want to change it, you know? And so I want to make sure that I'm not making that decision out of hormonal fluctuation or having a bad day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm constantly checking myself, like where is this coming from? And then where is it coming from if I were to decide if I am going to hang on to the space? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it because it's a good day? Is it because um, my ego doesn't want to let go of the big, beautiful space? Yeah. Right. So personally, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, struggling with all of those things. Um, yeah. yeah, they are. It, it is really because the, we're not the same human being every day. And I think that's like one of the problem when you're making like these kind of changes. Of life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you being a creature of habit? And you're like, yeah. I just feel comfortable walking through these doors. I feel comfortable having this space. And you're like, I chose the colors on these walls and chose exactly. the curtains and this furniture. And I love to see it. And it makes me feel that a part of your success is attached to like yeah. this space and like these things. And you know, yeah. like I fought all those battles too. The only thing that I rely on now personally is that this hasn't been going on for a month. It hasn't been going on for three months and it hasn't been going on for six months. So like if there's a part of me that really feels like that I need to make some kind of change or some changes need to be made if this happens again or if this gets drawn out even longer, just to be able to find a different level of comfort because I love how I love being comfortable. Like I, I don't love having to micromanage like stress in my life at all. Like I just, I like just nice and easy, relaxed. I, I would prefer to be a lot more introverted than extroverted because of that, because, you know, just nurturing that introverted side of myself, I find it's very easy to be able to manage like um, external stress coming in that like that, that I'm going to, or is going to get absorbed by me just because like I participate in all these things, but you know, so how can I successfully live my life and make like these changes knowing that there's things will never really quite necessarily look different back to the same. And I think where um, there's a lot of comparison going on right now to the roaring twenties in the States about like, are we, is that going to happen again? Like, is there going to be like this massive like influx of like economic boom? And I'm like, well, things were a lot different in the 20s, you know, than what they are now. I think a lot more people in the 20s really wanted to be able to get back and like fire up the economic engine again. But like now, like there's really a lot more people that are, would be more, I just want my universal basic income check and I'm good. So like, that's the kind of part that where I'm like, where, where does this all kind of like flesh out? But I know a lot of people, you know, like yourself and like me who are just, you know, who are like giving up businesses, you know, like, you know, kind of closing them down now saying like, I've already bled out this amount of money. Do I want to keep on doing that? Cause I only have X amount of dollars left or, you know, like, and what can I do? And just kind of like sitting with themselves and trying to think about like, what's going to be like the best next course of action. Yeah. And it's hard because honestly, either way, I think I'd be okay. Yeah. So it's hard to make the choice. Um, 
and there is an emotional attachment to the space, but I don't know. Yeah. How, what, what makes you uh, like, so like kind of like fence it still like, like what, what pulls, what pulls you out of the clinic? What makes you feel like you want to close it down? Like what, what are some of the things that go through your mind where you're like, you know, maybe I need to make these changes. I feel like there'll be, I'll, I'll have less pressure on myself financially mm -hmm. and that will allow me the freedom to work on other things and, and to just create more space in general, mm -hmm. unclutter my mind more. Yeah. No. And that's really appealing. Do you feel like the, the telehealth uh, approach has been something that's like kind of caught on? Is, is it a trend that people are accepting? Mm -hmm. in I, wish it would I wish it would catch on more. Um, and so, you know, that, that could be part of it. Like if I wasn't um, having to be seeing as many people um, to maintain my overhead, then maybe I could focus more on marketing the telehealth piece because that's huge like a lot of people in the next few months are going to catch this mm -hmm. and they're all they already are and chinese medicine has so much to offer like in all the sars outbreaks there have been so far a huge percentage of the patients that have been treated in china for them at least have taken chinese medicine and as a result, it's been documented in several studies that they, and published in journals, that they are, um, they experience less severity of, of illness. So, and quicker recovery. So, you know, getting that message out would be a nice thing to be able to do. And that was kind of what I was trying to do when I wrote the forward to the, the newest book is to kind of plant that seed in people's minds because you know whether it's 10 or 50 years from now this is probably going to happen again mm -hmm. and to just have that you know something else that people can draw from or use to to help them you know when this happens is important um, because it reduces suffering you know there doesn't need to be a double blind placebo controlled study if you have the experiential um, uh, awareness of the fact that you went through something and you took herbs and they helped you feel better, um, then that's enough for me. And so, um, having been someone who's, you know, been through it, been sick and taken herbs and, and saw how they sh helped to shift what was happening with me, I, I am definitely an advocate. And, and not only that, I mean, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of years of writing and teaching on it and the intricacy of the understanding of pathogens and how they move through the body and, and what likely channels they're going to take based upon the person's um, constitution and their, their medical history is, is exquisite. So, you know, it's just that it's not in the mass consciousness that it's something that can be used. So as far as the whole telehealth thing goes, I would like to see that become more of an option for people. And I don't really think people understand that it is in terms of Eastern medicine as they do in terms of Western medicine. And, um, but one thing that I have been doing that is, it's a remote healing session. So I kind of have it lumped under telehealth but it's, it's remote energy healing. And it's been, 
it's been very effective and I am really enjoying doing it. And, and also being able to get the word out about that, I think is important too, because people are making some really dynamic shifts as a result of, of going through those sessions. And I'd like to see that catch on a little bit more as well, because people are used to going in person for body work and for energy work and things like that, but they're not necessarily it's not again in their radar to think about remote or distance healing and how powerful it can be, which is ironic since um, people have been praying for each other, uh, each other for thousands of years. And that's so much part of the collective consciousness, right? We can say a prayer for things or, or set an intention for someone and put a positive intention out there. But when it comes to an actual like healing session that may help to shift one's energy or, or one's mental or emotional bodies, then that's like sort of not on the radar as much as, as like saying a prayer is so, but it's just as, you know, it can be just as potent. See, and this is what I always say to people when, cause there's so many skeptics, right? And admittedly, like I was one for years be, because of lack of education. And the older that I get or wiser, more life experience or whatever you want to call it, is we do such a poor job of like educating people on things that really matter because every single person on this planet, you cannot lie to me that if you're around two people and one of them has negative energy and one of them has positive energy, you absolutely feel that. Like it, it it's, but why we're not in tune with being able to like seek those things out or recognize them inside of ourselves that like you can change that because like we all know if you feel a little crummy around somebody who's like like bubbly and full of life you naturally feel better so when people but it kind of when we talk about like energy healing how many people check out as soon as you say energy healing they stop listening like you see like the wall go up and it's like oh you're one of those people and it's right. like well, yeah, but you also said that when I was like, you know, like you should probably stop eating so much sugar or, you know, you should probably, you know, abandon, you know, like the thought process that you only have to do something active like three or four days a week because you sit at an office job five days a week and then you sit at home for two days and watch Netflix. So like you probably right. actually do need to do activity seven days a week because you don't do anything else. It's like, but yeah. like we're just, we're not, we're not told in like these, these concepts or these words become so inflammatory to like people because it's even conversations that I'm getting in with people now about traditional Chinese medicine is because China I, I can say it's liberty I hear a narrative that the Chinese government or Chinese officials not only with COVID-19 but there's something to do with like SARS or something like that before um where like they're not truthful with the world about what's going on. Like they tried to hide things. I know they're, I was told they're like, I heard that they're like moving people like out of hospitals, you know, like into ambulances, you know, so the, the numbers weren't high when officials would come. Like there's just a lot of like trickery. Whether or not that's true, I feel like people really want to believe that. So the problem with that is, is then you start talking about traditional Chinese medicine and it's like, it, it has, it has, 
yeah, like that's just the tone for it. Now it's like, well, why would I believe or do anything? Like all China is good for is lying and knocking off products and making cheap stuff and making kids build iPhones. You know, like that's just people's perception of it. And anything positive just gets lumped into that category too. Mm-hmm. Do you right. find that like through the course of your career, have you found that that that's been like something you fought back against with people or are the people seeking you out have already kind of come to those conclusions on their own that there's some benefit to this or, you know, just as you've gone through your journey, have you kind of seen those kind of pushbacks from people? There's definitely a mix, but the people that are fearful or skeptical are the ones who tend to think that every Chinese herb is contaminated and, um, that's going to interact with whatever medication they're on or whatever the problem is they they also are not educated to how much training someone who's who's licensed to dispense these things has mm-hmm. right so i've got eight years of of education in order to be able to do this including a slew of pre-med classes or drug interactions and all other things but they don't know that they, all they know is that, you know, I'm kind of on the same level as their chiropractor and their massage therapist. And in, in, in New York state has really high standards for massage therapy training, but still they're like, you can get your massage therapy degree with the GED and 10 months of training. Mm-hmm. Whereas with something like this, you have to have a bachelor's and pre-med and a master's degree and um, all kinds of, you know, it takes a long time. So it's not the same thing, but in the collective consciousness, it kind of is, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's not like going to the doctor when they come in here, I purposely make it so that it's aesthetically pleasing and more like a spa. And it's not so much about needles as it is about the, the energy that they can feel flowing and being gentle with the needles so that it's not triggering people's emotional response so that it's a relaxing um, experience for them for the most part I mean there's times where I need to stimulate points but um, for the most part it's viewed more in terms of like an esthetician or or massage therapy thing than it is you know a medical practice or a healthcare practice so that's on you though like if, if I was you and had gone through that kind of extensive training and you kind of get lumped into this like hoaxy category you know with like people who have significantly less education or training um like is that something that you've just become at peace with over the years or initially uh, yeah i'm not really at peace with it <laughs> i'm pretty i'm pretty outspoken with it now like if someone asks me what kind of training i have or something because they really have no clue like they'll be on their t- on the table and i'm and i'm already i'm just about to put their first needle in and they're like so what kind of training do you have? It's like, well, I, I wish you would have asked me that on the phone, you know, last week when you made the appointment, but this is, you know, what you have to do in order to get licensed to practice acupuncture. And no, I'm not re- using needles and, you know, all this other stuff, I'm pl- practicing clean needle technique. And then, you know, you lump COVID on top of that. And then it's just even, you know, even more of a thing, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not real patient with it anymore because I feel like people really do need to know that this is a it's based in a medicine and that when you're learning acupuncture you're learning and even if you're not somebody who does herbology you are still learning like a a huge immense amount of information um 
in that's rooted in entire medical system. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 it is an entire medical system like, like allopathy, allopathy or, or Western medicine. And, and I don't think people really get that. I think they think it's like reflexology or something, you know, they're just going to go and, and get a couple points pushed on their foot and it's not, they don't really, really get what it is. And so as a practitioner, like all of the practitioners I know are, passionate about trying to educate people about their connection with nature, the fact that they are nature, that with the principles of, of Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine or whatever it is that they're, that they're practicing, um, it is, it's very much like a one person at a time thing, right? There's not like a commercial for it on the Super Bowl yet. And again, it's like how we kind of like started with this. It's just, it always comes back down to lack of education and there's more avenues to be able to discredit, um, you know, like alternative medicine, like in Western culture than there is to accept it, you know, because like a, a really easy narrative to that is like, I've lived my life in the back country for like 37 years. I've always known that I loved it but I've never understood why until about a couple of years ago, you know, when I kind of started getting more into like some like the, you know, principles from China and like India and like some of like these ancient teachings. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I'm like, this is why I'm going like, this is why I feel better. This is why I always kind of feel like I'm missing out on something when I'm hiking back out or, you know, like why I see that mountain range. And I just, I want to go be a part of it. Like there. Yeah there's an actual calling to me as a person to be able to get there because of the energy that I intake from being in that environment and like what it does to my body. And like, my body is just like this beacon that gets pulled to like these or like a magnet that gets pulled to these situations. And everybody that I take is exactly the same way. Mm. You know, like I have yet to find somebody, no matter how like urbanized somebody maybe um, that goes into the backcountry and absolutely hates it. You know, it can be just like a simple walk in the forest, you know, no hills, no nothing, but you just, you're in that environment and there just, it always does something to you. And, and I'm glad now that I have a face for it and like, and like what that means so I can explain it to people. But then I see it like where I'm like, when I look at people, I'm like, I used to be you. I used to give people that same look, but you know, like we just do such a disservice thinking that like our way is kind of the only way, you know, it's like what we were talking about with the politics, like, yes, the Dems got all three, you know, levels of government now and things are gonna be totally different. It's like, but no, they're not, you know, like it's not even gonna be that. It's just, it looks like, but it doesn't fix like the actual problem. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, like, do you see more people um, now just kind of globally, they're wanting to be able to to make shifts, like, like getting outside, I know it's a little cold there, you know, like right now, but is there still people trying to like get out and still be active, um, you know, like in their community, you know, no matter what you guys is like social distancing guidelines or what your COVID-19 protocols are, like are people still trying to do their best and get out and enjoy a little bit of life or are people kind of locking themselves down? I think it's, I think it's both. I think even the people that are locking themselves down are trying to get out and take walks and stuff like that. Um, it's a little harder, especially for like older folks who, you know, you don't want to fall and it is getting a little icy here. So that's, that's the only problem that, that it's so like throughout the, 
summer and the fall, when people would come in for a treatment, we'd be discussing, you know, like their exercise routine. And since they largely weren't going into any facilities to exercise, a few people have, but not many, um, then I've been encouraging them to get equipment at home. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, I can go for a walk. I'm like, well, what are you going to do in the middle of January? Yeah. You could put spikes on your shoes, but are you really going to want to do that all the time, even when it's like, you know, sub-zero and, and then the reality saying some people did, did end up setting up little, you know, sections of their house for themselves so that they have something because it's so important to keep that movement going. Yeah. You don't want to stagnate. But even if they're exercising in, in the house, I still encourage that they get outside and get some fresh air. And most people do. Mm-hmm. I think most people in this area, we have like a kind of a conscious, um, active, health-minded population in, in at least the Saratoga Springs area. So, so that tends to be the what people gravitate toward and what people do to, to help keep themselves sane too, is to do exactly what you're saying, get out in nature, forest bathe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, you know, like no matter how hard it, it is, you know, like whether it's raining or like frigid cold or you know like when you go out and you just spend that little bit of time and when you come back in like I I know for me and a lot of people that I know like it it always is positive like you might be wet you might be cold you know your fingers might be chilly um you know but like there's there's nothing really that triggers this like oh that was terrible like right yeah never do that again or like oh I really feel like I compromised my health by doing that Right, right. Which is actually funny because one one conversation I get into all the time with people because I regularly sit in like my ice bath every day for seven minutes. Um, and now there's like, well, aren't you worried about getting sick? And I'm like, well, I'm like, there's no like bacteria or viruses in the tank. And they're just like, well, yeah, but they're like, it's like going outside in the wintertime without your jacket on, like you'll get sick. And I'm like, I know that's an old wives tale, but I'm like, just tell me about like some of like the magic bacteria that's floating around, you know, like that's going to like get me sick, you know, but like, and I know it's kind of like, there's obviously like two sides to that, you know, but like, that's one thing that they're starting to talk a little bit more about now, like up here is, you know, like now that everybody's inside, that's why so many more cases are starting to spring up here is because it's not necessarily that people are, getting together having parties it's just that people are just stuck inside period and that's why we're going to like this big uptick um what is your thoughts and opinions on that well i think that um it's not necessarily the cold mm-hmm. and, it, and you're not in it for hours a day it's more the 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 cold and the wind it's yeah. more like if wind hits you at a certain part of your body at just the right moment when your resistance is already low, then that's when the pathogen can get in more easily. Mm. That I mean, that's like in Chinese medicine, we talk about wind cold, wind heat, wind damp. Oh. It's we don't just talk about cold, cold. Yeah, cold can lodge in the tissues, but that's if you're if you have a deficiency, and that allows for that to happen. But just walking outside without a coat on, if there's no wind chances are you're not going to catch a cold yeah that's you know so there's there's one thing and and you know part of 
it, it could very well be that, you know, being inside is, and not exposing oneself to the outdoors and fresh air enough during the day can be lowering one's resistance. That's certainly a possibility, especially since the air inside tends to be so dry. Well, that and like, I also read something that um, typically they're encouraging people to go outside in the summertime. So they're like, oh, the UVB light, you know, kills this virus. You know, it's like one of the safest places to be is like actually outside. But now it seems like it had something to do with like maybe that UVB light and the heat because I've read some stuff now. It's like, it's not the same as like being outside now that it's wintertime. Like it seems like the virus can survive Yes. a little bit longer now that it's like, you know, the winter time. So it's like, well, it might still kind of be better than, um, you know, being trapped indoors all the time, you know, but like, you're, it's still not as good as what it was in the summertime. Well, the nature of the pathogen is, is damp and cold. Mm. It's good so nice. pathogen itself is characterized as damp and cold in Chinese medicine. Oh. So some pathogens are characterized as heat and some are as cold this one's damp and cold so it's like a sticky so it's it's sticky it's it's easy to get in places and stay there and so um so when you have the summer you have yeah the light and the heat which the light is drying and the heat is warming and that's the opposite of damp and cold so it's going to I mean, just from a, an Eastern medicine standpoint, it makes sense, which means that as we head into spring, that spring isn't necessarily going to be that much better than winter yeah. because it's damp and cold in the spring. Especially here, like in the Pacific Northwest, like that's what it's like yeah. for about four or five months out of the year is damp and cold. So Right, right, right. So it's the perfect like atmosphere for it. Mm hmm right now what are like so being like inside where it's dry and hawks people have their furnaces or heaters you know kicked on yeah. like would that be then you should like add like a humidifier to that yeah. thing or yes i'm encouraging and to clean the reservoir out on a regular basis as well if you don't have one that has like a built-in antimicrobial antiviral cleaning system mm -hmm. um uh because you don't want anything to build up in the reservoir and then be you know, spewed back out into the app in the air in the room. So yeah, it's good to have the humidifier because um, if there is potentially a coronavirus floating in the air, the drier the air is, the more it can stay up in the air. And what you want it to do is settle down to the floor so you don't breathe it in. Oh, okay. oh so that's kind of like the theory behind like the, the dry and the damp is that like the damp pulls it down kind of like out of the way of like inhaling well, the humidity pulls it down mm -hmm. oh okay the, the warm like moist air pulls it down interesting i yeah, never knew like, air is the more it can float which no. makes perfect sense but again those, those are the things where like i think if if there was officials willing to be able to have somebody on that could explain it in terms like that yeah, a like, lot of people would be like oh that actually does make perfect and that's why we're supposed that's why they're advocating for masks because they're it's like do you ever like look like when the sunbeam comes through the room sometimes and all mm -hmm. those little particles of dust just envision that all the time outside in the air even yeah and that if there if somebody has it and they're exhaling it the, the coronavirus, I mean, 
then that's just going to hang out in the air. If they sneeze it out, it's probably going to be more in droplets. So it's going to hang out and then it's going to fall to the ground more quickly. But if they're just breathing it in and out or they clear their throat or whatever, it's just going to, if it's not attached inside a droplet, it's drier. And it's just like kind of hovering like those little particles of dust. Yeah. So that's why that's the idea behind it. And I wish they would like show those visuals on a regular basis. And like in the, in the microbiome book, there's that image of, of like I talk about like pig pen from the Charlie Brown cartoons and how he always has all this stuff yeah. around him. Well, we all always have this stuff around us and we're all leaving a trail, you know, as we're walking around. And so I think if people had that kind of visual in their mind with this, um, that it might make a little bit more sense as to why they're saying, you know, the distancing stuff and the masking stuff and just, and with having a humidifier, because then it helps keep those particles heavier. So they're not just lingering in the air for a long period yeah. of time. And like all those things that you said, just make such perfect sense. And like, I don't know what it's like there, but here, like all the initial, like, signage and propaganda that the government is putting out the message that they keep on saying none of it's ever changed it's like they've never updated anything like all these signs that have like this little coronavirus molecule on it and then it's like wash your hands you know like wear a mask and stay at home you know but like i just i feel now there could be so like such a better job of like explaining things like we've all seen the memes on social media now where there's the different types of masks and how much stuff is like you yeah. know coming through them versus not it's like well why not like have that you know like it was actually funny I was watching um my daughter's Christmas uh, concert video because what they did is they streamed it from the classes um so that his parents couldn't go yeah so then you have like 20 of these like little kids you know like in this classroom then you have like these two teachers and there's one teacher standing in front of the camera like how we like are right now and she has the mask pulled down like this like explain to like the parents and like i just thought like it, it it just makes me chuckle you know like where you know like these are the environments that we deem to be safe as like schools you know, but it just goes to show it's like, well, there's 20 kids in the class, 50% of people are divorced. Most likely those people are like in another, you know, like relationship, you know, so you just don't have like 40 parents. You actually have like 60 parents and you have two teachers. So, you know, and each one of those kids has like another sibling who's in the exposed like yeah. another class. So like, you know, it's like, well, if your child goes to school and there's 20 people in the class, their prob their bubble is probably three or 400 people, like at right. least, you know, just by right. like, going to school. Right. You know, but then, you know, like, then you see like this mask being pulled down, like below the nose where it's like, well, that happens. I feel like kind of like more likely than not, but like in different ways where like you have, you know, people with like these buffs pulled over their nose, but like you can see through them. They're like a spandexy material, you know, then you have like the people who like wear the mask where it's like this flat thing like this, cause they haven't pinched it on their nose. Like I know things right where like you look at it and it just becomes like as long as you have something kind of on your face it just seems like you get like the big society like thumbs up <laughs> no, but like there's nothing really that like you know that even it, it shows people like I don't know about you guys but like we've never had like a public service announcement of like 
how do you wear a mask? How do nope. you fit it properly? Like there's, well, there's put them out on Facebook, but nobody, I haven't seen it on, on like widespread, you know, on regular TV or whatever. Yeah. You know, like little things like that though, right? Where like, yeah, I watched a documentary on the Spanish flu the other day and the, it showed the nurses putting their masks on and they would take gauze and they would wrap gauze around their face, like underneath their nose. Oh. <laughs> and and there was just as much controversy about mask wearing then as there is now. Mm -hmm. It was so interesting to see like how many of the things were exactly the same a hundred years later when we should have looked at that and said, okay, here's what we could do better. And we just haven't. Yeah. And you even think like that, like, how do you get people to change it? So like, you know, so if it's a hundred years, you're kind of talking generally about three generations, right? Yeah. You know, where you have like a, a grandpa, a, you know, a mom, and then like a daughter, son, you know, something else, those lines. but we still act exactly the same. when we're faced with this, like, you have to do this, like you have to wear this mask. Like what's, what's even like the shift, you know, like what's the, even like the, you know, cause it, like, the whole message about don't do it for you do it for somebody else or doing the other people around you. well that that didn't work and then when you ask people it's like well do it for you and they're like well i don't even want to do it so like that doesn't help it doesn't work either you know that and then the argument that masks don't work well maybe if you're just wearing three layers of gauze underneath your nose they're not going it's not going to maybe yeah. if you're wearing a surgical mask improperly it's not going to you know yeah. it's yeah and not that it's a hundred percent anyway, but yeah, which is, is funny because I was really like, um, well, I guess we'll kind of like wrap up on this note Do I found to be like one of the most ironic things about this, but how they're talking about between Canada and the United States, like all the um, commercial truck traffic that goes back and forth, taking like all of our goods and stuff and how, whether you're going from the U S to Canada or Canada to the U S like there's no like rapid testing being done. Like it's basically like, oh, you got a big truck, you know, safe driving. Um, but what they were talking about was not only that, is that every truck stop that those truckers stop at, like, you know, every time they stop and get gas, but it's also the cargo, like that cargo has now been like handled and there's been no like, like um, time for the, you know, like the buyer side, it doesn't go through like a UV B filter, like you like nothing, like it just kind of, goes so and then it ends up in our grocery stores and all of our stores and then you know like people are going around picking stuff up and like like where you look at that where from like a mask standpoint like even if you wear your mask like how many people just handle all of the things yeah. like in our lives you know like there's not even like in even an, another kind of like message that could be put out there's like this is the time you know like we all know shopping local is great we all know support your local businesses they need more support now than okay. ever all those little mom and pa shops and restaurants they're all going out of business you know like why not that now to be able to reduce that amount of traffic but on the flip side of that is now amazon is buying one of our biggest airline westjet um, a bunch of their planes because westjet's selling them off because they're not flying really anymore so it's just more of like that all over you know like get my stuff in 24 hours on amazon prime kind of mentality where like masks like are are a part of it 100% but it's like when we bring all these things like like into our homes like so willingly 
And yeah. I know like almost all the Amazon drivers that I see driving around, like none of them are wearing masks and who knows if they're coughing and sneezing when they're in their cars and grabbing your pack yeah. and dropping them off. And, yeah. yeah. So. I, still, I still wipe everything down. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, but like you think like how rare you are, right? Like it's just like how yeah. like, you know, like I hear like, you know, some people about like wiping things down. Um, admittedly, I don't. Um, but it's like, you should like I, I could see to me, I could see how wiping things down before bringing them into my house or changing my clothes as soon as I walk into my house could be more effective than me personally wearing a mask. Like I could actually make that argument because of how many times these things have been handled, you know, versus right. like how close I may or may not be to somebody while talking or they're like, like, I, I don't know about you. And I don't know if people are like holding in, but I feel like even sneezing rates have gone down. Like I used to hear people sneeze <laughs> all the time and I'm like, what happened to sneezing and what happened to coughing? What happened to clearing your throat? What happened to the all these things just magically breathe? <laughs> yeah, it's just like they're just like poof, they're just gone now. Like it's so funny. But it's when I do see people sneeze and cough though, nine times out of ten, they just do it right in their mask. They don't even. Yeah. You know, it's like oh, I've got a mask on. I chew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they show the little spray coming like out the side and stuff like that. That's yeah. Um, but let's wrap things up. I, I really appreciate it. again. Like I'm always shocked how fast the time goes by. Like yeah, that's crazy. Camera stuff, and um, as always, it's just such an honor and privilege talking to you, Bridget. I really yeah, appreciate fun. You had your day. Thanks, you too. Thank you. Have a great day. Yep, you too. Bye.